Hello to listeners of Dead Ideas and Eastern Border, because this is going on both our shows in our first ever crossover episode. I'm BT Newberg, and I am joined today by Kristaps. Greetings, comrades. <laughs> do not do not listen to what this strange foreigner tells you. It's actually a crossover between the Eastern Border and the Dead Ideas, obviously. <laughs> so, Brandon, explain to our comrades what are we bringing to them today? What we're bringing you today is the Tito-Stalin split. And for those of you who might be wondering, who haven't been following either of our shows, you might be wondering, who's Tito-Stalin and can he show me how to do the Tito-Stalin split? <laughs> but I'm no. pretty sure either of them can show you how to do a split. <laughs> Not in the way that you would imagine a split would look like, but... Or would enjoy it for that matter, but... Uh... Oh my god, Stalin, Stalin, <laughs> how, how would a Stalin split look I don't like? know. Or a Tito split? I don't know. But it is it is not some hot new dance. We're talking about two communist dictators, Stalin, of course, the Stalin, and Tito, the dictator of the former Yugoslavia, who in the early Cold War went head-to-head -head with Stalin, grudge match style. So that's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas and Eastern Border. Hey everybody, when Chris Stops and I recorded this, we got onto a whole bunch of different topics, and this is an edited version, edited down into a one hour, but if you want the full version, you can head over to Eastern Border and get the extended cut. Yes, it's just like Blade Runner, right? With multiple versions. Okay, so if you want the full version, go over to Eastern Border. If you want the one hour, listen to this one. All right. No, seriously, we're, we're here just, uh, well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you a spoiler if you haven't listened to the ideas yet. Brandon has Slovenian roots, just like your yes. first lady. And yep. he's making this great series about Tito and Yugoslavia. Uh, he's fixing up the, the holes in my own education in this one, because I haven't really paid that much attention to it. And uh, it's going to be a great show, because this fits in my Stalin series perfectly. And uh, I, I, I understand that my task here is to prove that Stalin is best. <laughs> and Tito is just just some sort of upstart or something, but we shall let you let you discuss and and think uh, the true state of this being. Although obviously Stone wins, <laughs> obviously, but well, we'll find out. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you, Kristaps, for doing this with me. Ah, oh, it's okay. It's not like I have anything better to do. My wife's away for like three weeks, and what do I do? I podcast. And <laughs> she came back like as we were recording. <laughs> she came back for a day. A day. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're covering the conflict between Tito and Stalin that resulted in Yugoslavia's expulsion from the Cominform, which is basically kind of like being excommunicated from the Church of Communism, I guess, to make an analogy. And uh, so we're taking sides, basically. I will take the side of Tito, and Kristaps will take the side of Stalin, and we're going to go head-to-head -head like some kind of heavyweight boxing match. We're going to do three rounds in the ring covering three historical periods of Tito and Stalin's relationship, and the last man standing wins. Now, for those listeners who do, are... Do, do, in, uh, by the <laughs> way, in, it's Tito versus Stalin. Whomever wins, we, we all lose. <laughs> okay, very good. Yes. Good point. 
Now, for those listeners who are new to our shows, as you can already tell, we use a hefty dose of humor. But the point is, is it's basically the humor is a way into the history, right? So we take on quite serious subjects at times. And both of the guys that we're talking about today were dictators and were quite brutal at that. But despite the tragedy, I mean, you just, you got to laugh too. You know, it's kind of like that TV show MASH. Did you ever see that, that show, Kristaps, MASH? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, no, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing because, uh, well, I, I should sort of uh, remind you all that Soviets were extremely proud of their their political jokes, which were basically, ha, look at us, everything's terrible. But this is this is sort of a, a weird weird way of coping with the stuff. Exactly, exactly. And so MASH was kind of like that, too, because it was about Americans in the Korean War, and it was mostly a comedy, but every once in a while they would do a serious episode. And and. The juxtaposition of the comedy and the seriousness would just bring out kind of that poignancy all the more. So today we're basically doing a, a kind of black humor show that highlights the tensions in what we're talking about when we talk about two dictators. And we're even doing a little black humor contest about that over at Dead Ideas, uh, which we will mention at the end of the episode. I'll tell you a little bit later about that. But yeah, today is going to be a little more on the comedic side, but the tragedy is just beneath the surface, By the way, and that's the, the, and, there's a, and, and there's a Soviet joke about Tito. What? You expected me not to prepare a political anecdote for this? <laughs> so basically, basically, one of these is like, you know, Khrushchev goes to Yugoslavia to like make peace and everything, and, and he's welcome there, and, and you know, everything is nice, but he... He kind of drives drives past the fields of Yugoslavia and doesn't doesn't see any any posters of, of his own and stuff and he he leaves and, and he thinks well you know I should I should do better and, and then Tito Tito pre- comes back with with kind of a, in a return <laughs> visit but but you know Khrushchev is prepared so when Tito just when Tito just just drives past the kolkhoz, Khrushchev, uh, Khrushchev has put a poster there, a huge poster, and he was like, you know, how how would I greet him? He's not exactly in the Communist Party. He he, we we kind of have to make up for him. Ah, I'll just be honest. So Tito just drives past the kolkhoz, and what he sees is a huge poster saying, "Long live the Tito's clique." <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> just like a like just like Tito has his own little um table in the the lunchroom cafeteria at junior high or something huh <laughs> approximately but yeah you know like i said it's kind of it's kind of hard this is there are way more jokes about Khrushchev Khrushchev than than Tito available because uh at least Tito was competent a bit <laughs> yeah yeah well okay so all right i think enough introduction let's Ca- Cut, cut this part to shreds if you want to. I'm just, you know, having. <laughs> I I, no, I refuse no. to record an episode if I'm not having fun recording. No, that you gotta <laughs> laugh at the tragedy. That's what we said. This is staying in. All right. So without further ado, let's meet our fighters. In this corner, our reigning champion, weighing in at 162 pounds or 73.5 kilograms, straight from the mountains of Georgia. That would be Soviet Georgia, not U.S. Georgia. General Secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact warrior, leader of the communist world, and the man with the iron mustache. His name literally means man of steel, Joseph Stalin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) And in the other corner, our challenger, the underdog, 
weighing in at I don't know how many pounds because I couldn't find it on the internet, hailing from the village of Kumrovic in Croatia from mixed Croatian and Slovenian parentage, president of Yugoslavia, hero of the War of Liberation from the Hitlerites, former communist spy turned defier of domination by Moscow, his name was his final alias from his days as a spy, and he just decided to keep it, Josip Broz Tito. <laughs> I do have to say that Stalin was also just a name he decided to keep. I you know, it's know. kind of interesting because, yeah. because, uh, and it's kind of weird because uh, it 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 doesn't really ring that way in English, but in Russian, like there's Stalin, there's Molotov, and there's Kamenev, which were like big heroes of the revolution. Mm-hmm. And Kamenev is a nickname meaning the stone one. Molotov means the hammer. Okay, uh-huh. so they at that point it was kind of cool to pick like proletariat-sounding nicknames. <laughs> nice. You're not a cool revolutionary to join the real men's club. You have to pick an industry-sounding name. Also, man of steel is like a steel worker then, or something of that sort. Yeah, you know, you you Americans use man of steel for Superman, but well, I believe that if if Lex if Stalin was Soup's adversary, not Lex Luthor, then Soup's would have lost long time ago. Right. And would be just somewhere there in gulags producing free energy for the Soviet state running in hamster wheels. Right. Because okay? uh, you have to understand that I'm, I'm I, 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 at least I'm going to speak for myself. I'm pretty sure you'll agree to this. We're not glorifying these leaders. We're just looking at their role. But it's like it's like speaking yeah, about Genghis Khan. Absolutely. Yeah. You and- you at one point you just get stunned about like. Uh, What's wrong with these guys? It's like other people, other people, given their situation, be like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" These like these guys are like, "Well, I guess some people gonna have to die now." Oh well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's lunch? that's the thing about these guys, right? So they they fit the mold of old world, old style leaders. Like if they were in Genghis Khan's time, if they were in Alexander the Great's time, they would have fit right in. But in modern times, they stand out as as dictators and as brutal, right? So see, it's modern, it's a whole see, different mindset. It's something that it's and and I'm I'm putting my philosophy in here. I'm sorry, I, I have to do it in every episode. <laughs> this is the second episode I'm in, and I'm ruining, and I'm ruining Brandon's second episode. Right? <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, the thing is, the mindset is what matters here. Mm-hmm. The the very fact that. Uh, you know, we we normal people tend to think that other people think kind of like us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I have issues with empathy myself, but my wife tells me that empathy allows you to kind of understand how other people feel. Well, and I've, I've, I'm not going to lie, I have undergone some nice treatment because I would be a terrible sociopath otherwise. Uh-oh. <laughs> and the... Th- no, seriously, it's it's a thing. Uh, uh-huh. it's, yeah. my, it's my trouble. But honestly, uh, I kind of... And you know, on a bad day, uh, see, on a bad day, I will sometimes, you know, sit down, and if someone has pissed me off, I would just sit. I will just read a book, and and in my head, invent immense amount of tortures about my hated people. I will never realize that, of course, because you know, I am hmm. a, I'm a functioning sociopath. But Adjusted. these these people, they had no moral qualms, you know. Uh, I, tr- I I'm trying to be the good guy. They didn't even pretend to be the good guy. They thought being a good guy is something that made you lose. Mm. Like good guys are losers. Mm. Not killing a bunch of people. Pff. If you can't kill, if you can't kill three, <laughs> if you can't, 
if you can't kill at least a million people, you're not a great leader, obviously. Pfft, what is this? <laughs> and at the same time, at the same time, okay, we're, we've passed out, but the thing is, these people have a different mindset. These people are basically playing chess, and they're just, you know, as you would sacrifice a pawn, these people are ready to sacrifice insane amounts of things. For the, but they are also both true believers of their cause. Yes, absolutely. That's one thing that must be... Yep. You might call them cynical, but they're cynical in a way that they're ready to sacrifice anything for their cause, but they have this idea that they do believe in. Right. They're not faking their beliefs in communism. Right. Because uh, I have heard a lot, uh, a lot of commenters these days stating that, well, you know, their communism and their ideas was just something they used to drive their own ambition. And I say that's all wrong. No, no, no. Uh, their ambitions stemmed from their ideologies, and they they were fanatical believers in in this this thing in their own separate forms of this. Right. Yeah. You you do have to put this in context is the fact that this was done in the name of something, and you can only you know you can only ba- basically otherwise otherwise you know in their both separate countries, both Tito and Stalin essentially in their own countries could have they didn't have need for money. They could have just acquired anything what was necessary, okay? Mm-hmm. And at one point when you have basically achieved a position of almost godhood, mm-hmm. then why do you keep going? Right. So it's like this, this it's like this this what we're talking about here isn't the, the see the point is we, we, we might just make funny jokes about Tito versus Stalin, but it's actually a clash of different thoughts of socialism, of right. how socialism should go. So these guys were they these are they, these guys are like I love to say they embody ideas. Mm-hmm. That's why there is Stalinism and Titoism, because these guys are basically these guys uh, ascend from being mortal men. Because for example, Stalin himself he used to yell at his he had a stepson, mm-hmm. like he had a stepson and he had a son, and his son at one point started signing his letters Stalin and he started using this term Stalin. Okay. So Stalin himself yelled at his own son, and he told him, "No, you're not Stalin." He said, "Well, I'm your son. I mean, that makes me Stalin." He said, "No, you're not Stalin. Even I'm not Stalin. Stalin is in the newspapers. Stalin is in the press. Stalin runs the country. Stalin's in the mind of the people. What Stalin says goes. You haven't deserved to be Stalin. You're not the idea." Okay. Right. And. This uncovers a madness which we, the normal people, are. I doubt that we it would take a series it's like in the mind of like you have to stare in the mouth of madness and the madness stares back and you become a bit more insane when discussing this <laughs> and now that i've brought in depression to this show <laughs> no no that was all good. but i thought this was really important to say yeah it is yeah it is and i do have to give it to tito because uh, Tito match, almost matches him at this. Of course, yeah, he Tito started is not great as compared to Stalin. Yeah, but the thing is, um, at least as Tito himself, and this is going to be, Tito is, Tito is going to write about this way, way later, and let me find this. But yeah, in the 25th of May, 1974... Uh, he, Tito was given uh, was giving an interview in the in the newspaper, the fight or the struggle. Mm-hmm. It's called Bor- Borba, and they gave they gave him uh, basically a question asking him, which which kind of decision was harder for you? Was it the decision of a difficult fight against Hitler in the years of war, 
or or later in the kind of in the connection with the Stalin's positions on things. And Tito gave an interesting answer to this. And he said that the decision to start fighting against Hitler, it wasn't difficult at all. We were mm-hmm. kind of, uh, we were, we were doomed to take on the fight. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, translating here kind of in the meaning sense, literally, you will not be able to understand Russian. Mm-hmm. R- Russian uh, R- Russian metaphors uh, should be better left out because uh, they involve swear words. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, to take to take the decision in in context with the Stalin's position was much more difficult for me, because for me as a dis, as a disciplined communist internationalist, it was extremely extremely scary and hard to go to such to such a step to make such a decision. Mm-hmm. But as I understood uh, what what was the case about and what what was the the whole thing about in this case what Stalin really wanted. And it was all about the the kind of it was all about the 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 growth of socialism in the world in the future, and the socialistic relationships with the rest of the world, and about what should be the relationships between the socialist countries and how socialism should evolve as such. Well, then I understood uh, that then I understood that I had to make this this kind of burning the bridges down decision. Mm-hmm. And this was the breaking point. This was the decision to start the battle uh, so that all the socialist countries wouldn't be under the di- dictatorship of Stalin. Yeah. This is 1974. And you know what? You know what? Um, Wait, so 1974 can... is when he said that, but he's referring to yeah. much, much to the earlier. Much, much earlier, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm supposed to stri- fight for Stalin here, and I'll do that with nice dose of terrible humor, but I do have to give credit credit to that and i'm not sure about stalin but i know that tito is definitely way more badass than hitler because <laughs> okay. you know what it's one thing to backstab someone and to just attack him in hopes of winning him okay and then there's other thing of staring stalin down because that's what tito did right he was open about the situation and tito was one of the very few men who have managed to stare Stalin down and survived. That's the thing about okay. Tito, is he had balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, de- definitely. Whether it was a smart idea or not is an entirely other question. But that anyone would stare down Stalin, not having like nuclear weapons on their side to back them up, and just having basically just podunk little Yugoslavia, that, that takes balls. That takes balls. It does, it does. And uh, one thing I want to note, Tito was ridiculously badass. And then there's this classical statement about Stalin Stalin sending assassins to Tito and them failing. And Tito just responding that stop sending assassins to me or I'll send one to you and he will not fail. Uh, That's kind of anecdotal or anything. But the fact is, the fact is that you do have to understand that what Tito did was unheard of. So the backstory uh, of of how they kind of come into conflict, you can find like some of the backstory in in my Titoism series on Dead Ideas, particularly the second episode. But here's the super quick gist, right? Okay, so Tito fought for Austro-Hungary against Tsarist Russia in World War One, but he was taken prisoner. And there, as a prisoner of war in Russia, he's that's where he discovered communism and became radicalized. And then after World War I, he became a communist spy going all over Europe and kept his final alias, Tito, as a permanent name. And then going back to Yugoslavia, he joined the Communist Party, which was soon 
purged by Stalin of everyone except Tito, because Stalin thought that the others were just apparently worthless or something. So by default, Tito kind of became the leader of the Communist Party in Yugoslavia, which wasn't in power yet at the time. They were just, you know, people who were, you know, hoping for someday something to happen in Yugoslavia. And then World War II broke out. And when World War II broke out and, and Yugoslavia was invaded by the Axis powers, then Tito started a communist resistance group of partisans. And that's really where our Tito-Stalin relationship begins here. They didn't really, uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly when it was that they met, but they've, they met infrequently. Oh, I can tell you ever. when they met. Yeah. I can tell you when they met, by the way. Okay. Because they first met during wartime. Okay, it was during and wartime, yes. Okay. It was during wartime. And the thing is, what Stalin didn't like at all was the fact that uh, Tito at that point was the marshal of the Yugoslavian forces. Yes. Of this, uh, I know how it's in Russian, uh, DKU, a KPU. Communist Party of Yugoslavia. But he was also kind of uh, the leader of, ah, uh, what was it? Uh, the partisans is what we call them in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually. The partisans. Yeah. I just want to. They had this partisan organization, which was yeah. DPO or something of that sort. Okay. Oh, he was the he was the leader of this, and he met Stalin as a marshal of his own forces, while Stalin was the marshal of the Soviet Union. So they, you know, they had the same military military kind of uh, grade. The military, you know, what, what are these things? Mm-hmm. They, were both, they were both. They were both military rank. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Stalin was very disappointed about the fact that they met as equals because the Soviet Union was much larger and was uh, was seen back then as uh, okay I'm still dropping Max and now and was seen basically as the, like the central of the Comintern mm-hmm. and Tito viewed himself as Stalin's equal when they first met mm-hmm. so that is why Stalin already from the first meeting you know he was used to people you know being subservient to him people being below Stalin, and that came also from kind of these, uh, how we call them, brotherly republics. You know, friendly republics. Like Poland, and Hungary, and Czechoslovakia. You know, all the, all these places. And here, you know, everyone's subservient to Stalin, except Tito. Mm-hmm. Tito mm-hmm. is just equal to him. And that pissed off Stalin so much. <laughs> yeah, so from the very start, yeah, it was just, you could tell that it was, it was going to be frenemies at best. I like that, Kristaps, you got in the first swing before the bell even rang. I think that was like dirty, true Stalin style. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's ring the bell now for round one of our boxing match, right? Covering World War II era. But already, Stalin's got Tito like on the ropes here, right? Okay, great. Well, let's get right to it. Okay, so round one, and Tito's going to come back from that like like sucker punch that Stalin just got in and say that we were the first ones to fight the fascists. Oh, the, I'll give you a freebie. You, I'll no, give no, you a freebie, when you guys man. were still buddy-buddy with Hitler and thinking you were just going to divide Poland and then be friends after that, the Axis powers were already invading Yugoslavia. In April 6, 1941, the Germans, Italians, and Hungarians all invade. And it wasn't until June 22nd of that year that Hitler stabs Stalin in the back and invades the USSR. At the same time, by the way, uh, and I'll give, I'll give, I'm giving you some bonus points because Tito needs some help from the other side as well. <laughs> At the same time, by the way, uh, a lot of people in the West... Me. 
I will, obviously. <laughs> you deserve it. Uh, basically, the idea was that in the West, uh, in the West, this this fact that this uh, partisan movement existed was kind of toned down because at this point, no one in the West and the Allied side is trying to even paint Tito as a hero. No, no, they're all around this Dmitry Mikhailovich, mm-hmm. which was the which was the person whom the mass media in Great Britain and USA kind of, they wanted to make this Mikhailovich as the leader of the resistance in Yugoslavia. Yep. And they made him the Yugo, the, the, Yugoslav, the Yugoslavian Robin Hood, the Wonder Man, the Great Man, everything. So basically uh, that, that in the West created this myth that the anti-fascist movement in Yugoslavia was led by him. When in fact, Mikhailovich's movement was wasn't supported by the people, and Tito was the man, was the real man who was doing everything. Yeah, and how that? So okay, so Mihailovich's resistance movement that that was what was the Chetniks, and then the partisans those were the Tito resistance movements. It's two different movements, right? So the other thing that that I wanted to put in here as as like a sep- second jab here is that um, Stalin, you told all of your like. All, all the other communist resistance movements and all the countries all around to be anti-fascist, anti-axis, but you told them not to actively be pro-communist in their movements because well, you didn't want to alienate the allies by piss them off by, by spreading communism amongst them. But I was like, uh-uh, that's not happening. We got to be for something, not just against something. So I went pro-communist from the very start with my partisan movement, put red stars on their caps, taught them about communism in my camps. Uh, I am a true Marxist. <laughs> well, being a true Marxist isn't isn't that difficult if you speak about Stalin through Marxism. And about the World War II, oh my God. Uh, 15 minutes ran from Christophs here. See, the thing is, I am at the given moment of recording, I am digging through an insane amount of sources at the beginning of World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two. I'm sorry, World War Two. And honestly speaking, honestly speaking, I cannot give you a straight answer on. And I've been asked this a lot: why Hitler invaded the Soviet Union? Uh, and right. I can't give you a straight answer on the question: what was Stalin's plan, plans at this point? Because, and uh, and my opinion might change as I do more research. It's just that the very fact that uh, a lot of Western sources and later on Khrushchev will depict Stalin as paranoid and and afraid of Hitler Mm. when he had a numerical advantage, when his tanks were basically all prepared in the offensive formation. The thing is, I do believe at this point that Stalin would attack Hitler and would just sweep through Western Europe on his own as the Great Liberator if Hitler hadn't attacked him. Oh. That's another thing, and he was planning on attacking this. Maybe, okay? This is extremely controversial shit that I'm talking right now, okay? Because the thing is, the mainstream idea of the history goes that Stalin was just, like you said, being friendly-friendly, but it doesn't work together with everything else that I know about Stalin. At no point Mm. it works. See... Stalin in his whole life was ruthless and calculating and was never surprised. The idea that he let himself be surprised just doesn't make any sense in context. However, mm. it kind of helps in the political spectrum because over here it's better, better, better politically stuff. And, and uh, for now, like I said, for now, because I'm doing a lot of research for this and there's a reason I left it for like late in my show. 
it kind of seems more likely that Stalin wanted Hitler to start like his massive evil war of oppression so that he could come in a liber- as a liberator and install socialist governments everywhere. So in a way, Tito, with his resistance, ruined his plans if you believe this theory. And again, this is just my opinion from the facts that I have gathered. Mm. Let's just move on. Beginning of World War II rages me. I'm giving I'm giving you this round. I, I have <laughs> okay. I have I have raged okay. enough of it. Alright, ding ding ding. <laughs> The towels go out, the fighters go to their separate corners, yeah. So Tito got in a few jabs and made Stalin really angry. (laughs) One thing I have to give to Tito. This is the reason why Russia isn't meddling in the Balkans today. Because of Tito. Because Hmm. Tito stood firm against this. Because Tito did not allow his own country's history to be screwed over. He resisted Stalin, so Stalin couldn't rewrite his rewrite the history of of, of the Yugoslavian people, of all the, all these Yugoslavian peoples, Serbs, Croats, Slovenians, everyone. Mm. And that is the biggest biggest thing that Tito did, historically speaking, what I think. Because uh, yeah, right now in these countries, Russia has almost zero political traction, and that's because of Tito. Mm. So they're mm-hmm. way safer than we are now here. Mm. Okay, but but let's. I, I do have to get going eventually. So okay, 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 okay. Go on, go okay. on. I am so okay. Sorry, so man. let's yeah. So okay. So let's move on to round two. Round two is the showdown after World War Two, where things really come to a head between Tito and Stalin. So we're going 1946 to 1948 for this round. In round two, I here, dare this... to disagree, sir. <laughs> so in in this era, mutual slights and insults, such as that marshal's uniform that we were talking about in the last round, really bring tensions to a boil, right? Okay, and one of the things also that happened during World War II was it, it, towards the end, when Yugoslavia was being liberated and starting to, to kick out the Axis, uh, Tito's partisans couldn't take Belgrade without the artillery that the Soviets had. They needed the Soviets' help to do that. But Tito demanded that the Soviets withdraw as soon as Belgrade is taken. And Stalin agreed, not because he was like, oh, sure, that's reasonable, but because he needed to send his troops to Hungary anyway. But that that just, that was exactly like the marshal's uniform where mm-hmm. where it, it really pissed him off with this I can idea give like you, a, you can, I can give, give me you an order. Extreme, I can <laughs> give you extremely accurate data about the Soviet help. Okay. Soviets sent 155,000 of rifles, 35,000 of automatic rifles, 155,000 of bolt-action rifles, 16,000 of heavy machine guns, uh, 6,000 6, of... Uh, of like these uh, mine throwers, grenade okay. throwers, grenade like throwers, okay. heavy weaponry, yeah, uh, like the, these you know mortars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. About yeah. f- about fifty planes and seventy tanks. But but here's the thing, and this pisses off Stalin too. After the war, Tito and his partisans claim openly that they liberated themselves. It was not the Soviets that liberated them; they liberated Yugoslavia, and that doesn't sit well. <laughs> well, first off, I do have to say that what doesn't sit well first is the very declaration of Yugoslavia. Because in the, in the 7th of March, 1945, according to the recommendations of the Yalt Conference, Tito forms the temporary people's uh, government of the Democratic Federated Yugoslavia. 
which was basically later on the later that month uh, the Jure the Jure kind of admitted as to exist by the Soviet Union United States of America and Great Britain mm-hmm. the thing is the Soviet Union were the first ones to send a ambassador to this new government because you know they make this government and they make this their, their declaration uh, you know of what they're gonna do and who they are like blah 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 we are the new Yugoslavian government whatever mm-hmm. and they they send their fir- their ambassador first in the 12th of March of course stating that with this ambassador comes also the help or uh, the help and support to the mm, brotherly nations of Yugoslavia but but a day later in a closed top secret letter which was addressed to Tito mm-hmm. Kardelju Hebrangu apparently from the Soviet side, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a stated disappointment of the go- of the declaration of this Yugoslavian government, which they called to be mm, pale or weak. <laughs> they stated that, you know, they, they, they basically were angry that the new Yugoslavian government didn't didn't strongly uh, show that the Soviet Union was basically responsible for the liberation of their country. Right. And that there was there was a lack of a strong position in the question of becoming <clears throat> becoming closer with other Slavic countries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that there was some sort of a muted role of the Soviet Union in the forming of this country, mm-hmm. and they specifically specifically mentioned that quote <clears throat> being silent in this question cannot be good. For, cannot be good to the new democratic Yugoslavia. So uh, another thing that Tito did wrong, <laughs> sort of, according to Stalin, was that basically uh, Tito made a public dinner of all the new kind of ambassadors in his country. Mm-hmm. In the honor of the... there were, There was an official dinner made by Tito for the ambassadors of, Uni- of the United States, of Great Britain, and the USSR, and some others. Uh-huh. But, but in the kind of the more honorary place, which would, by the way, follow at that point with the common diplomatic etiquette, uh, according to like the elderness of the diplomats, uh, according to the amount of time spent in the country, according to the you know, according to, they didn't basically they didn't put the USSR diplomat in the place of honor in the table. They put the Great Britain's diplomat in the place of in in the place of honor on the table, uh, even though the the British diplomat had kind of deserved it because he was longer in the country. And you know, there's a lot of rules of diplomatic protocol. Stalin did not take that well, a lot. Huh. I didn't know this part. There, there was there, yeah, and and this was one of the one of the slides that kind of Tito did. See, Tito uh, later stated that you know he did everything according to protocol, and this is what he did. Mm-hmm. But then we're talking about Stalin here, and Stalin couldn't give less shits about protocol, even if you know shits were pointing gun at his head, and yeah. Stalin would be like laughing in their face. What he yeah. what he cares about is that when he looks eye to eye with another person, they back down and acknowledge his dominance. He's the alpha. Absolutely, oh. and Tito. During all this time, Stalin twice invited Tito on his own summer house for hmm. dinner. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest part is, at this did, point, everyone... Did Tito, everyone's... did Tito bring the wrong kind of hot dish or something? Tito never went there. 
<laughs> oh. Tito politely oh, he refused him. He yeah. snubbed Stalin. Tito snubbed Stalin. <laughs> and that's like three times already by this point. <laughs> everyone oh else God. who snubbed everyone else who snubbed Stalin previously Is was dead. dead. <laughs> yeah, was dead. De- uh, either de- either dead or in a gulag. AKA soon to be dead. Okay, but at the same time, Tito, by the way, uh, he gave an interview to the newspaper The Red Star, because, you know, communist newspapers are always fun in names, and uh, he declared at this point, mm, this uh, extreme warmth and uh, honest heartedness and kindness with whom I was greeted everywhere by the Soviet people left a huge impact on me. So Tito is basically extremely polite and extremely nice and extremely kind. Mm -hmm. And he's still paying lip service to everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I would be too. I mean, until I'm ready to actually come out and make a decisive move, like I'm not going to follow Stalin, I would be doing my damnedest to make it at least look like I was. Uh, but I, okay, so I want to get a few jabs in. Okay, so with the clock is ticking down to the to the end of this round, right? So okay, so 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 Tito's pissed off at at Stalin because during the war he, he feels like he didn't really get enough attention and enough aid from the Soviet Union, and also after senpai, the war me. too. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> because exactly, uh, and after the war too, because after the war, of course, that's the very beginning of the Cold War, and everything is focused on what's going to happen between the great. West, you know, led by the only country that didn't get bombed to shit, which is America, and and the East, led by the Soviet Union, of course, and and that's all focused on uh, like places like Berlin and the division between East Berlin and West Berlin. Yugoslavia is relatively far from all that; it's not right on the Soviet borders, and it's not like a, a major focus. So neither during the war nor nor after it did Tito feel like he really got enough support from the Soviets. And then another thing that pissed him off was the coastal city, the port town of Trieste, which is on the Adriatic coast um, facing Italy. Tito wanted Trieste and had taken that area during the war and wanted to keep it. But Stalin bargained it away as like a bargaining chip, giving it back to Italy, hoping to gain concessions from the West in this much larger balance of power game in which Tito's opinion didn't matter. So that pissed him off. And then furthermore, um, around 1946, even though uh, at this point, Tito and Stalin are both exactly the same communist, you know, ideologies and everything, and they're supposedly best buds, and the West even thinks that uh, Yugoslavia is is Soviet satellite number one. So you're giving so you're giving me this round because while Stalin's playing massive games of power <laughs> with Truman, and while he's playing the big boys game, Tito is like, "Notice me!" Exactly, exactly, right. So I, I, it's like it's like Tito's it's like Tito's like trying to like punch him, and and Stalin is just holding his forehead with his hand, and he just can't quite get to him. <laughs> yeah. So so but but what uh, the USSR does is se- they send in spies to Yugoslavia under the guise of making a documentary about the Yugoslav resistance. But the script portrays Tito in a minor role during the war, and that pisses off Tito. And then it turns out that they're spies. And so it's just like, yeah, it it really just really screws things up between them. And then finally, when when it all boils over, it's 1947, Tito signed something called the Bled Agreement, 
with Bulgaria to affirm, quote, friendship, cooperation, and mutual assistance, basically forming like a special kind of little alliance between them. And, you know, they're both heads of state, so they have the official right to do that. But Stalin is not consulted, and this severely pisses off Stalin. And yeah, after he, that, it's, he, it's he like also done himself, between them. He also himself stated that... <clears throat> Nationalistic line thinking like this can only can only result in Yugoslavia turning into a common bourgeoisistic republic, and we cannot have that, comrades. Why am I sending all these spies in every other country if they just act act like as they want? Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, Brandon, Brandon, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think your microwave has its doors open. I'm getting reports here. Sorry, what? <laughs> your microwave, like you left it open. <laughs> <laughs> is this like some kind of assassination attempt? No, no, my 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 agent in the fridge is getting cold. Just so you know, <laughs> you know All right. So you're spying on me right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> That's good. So okay, so all of this boils over, and in June of 1948, Yugoslavia is expelled from the Komen Form, which is basically the organization of all the, uh, the the communist states, right? And it's the cool club, and if you're out of the cool club, you're just plain out, right? And Oh, and... dude, yeah, and, th and, th and this is just amazing, because um, uh, I'm reading right now from uh, a person from St. Petersburg called Martans, and uh, he wrote <clears throat> he wrote in his paper, Drugoy взгляд на Stalina, or Zapriceny Stalin, or basically, which means another look at Stalin, or forbidden Stalin, and he writes about the revisionism of Tito and the United States of America, because Tito was an American spy all along. Of course, and he, he was. writes because these things are everywhere, you guys, and that is why I, I'm having so much fun about researching this. Mm. Basically, he writes that the CIA spies uh, worked with Tito himself. They basically managed to convert Tito to capitalism, and that quote in the June of 19, 1948. The Information Bureau of the Communist Parties, where where, where representatives of the nine parties went, they basically published a resolution with the critic of the Yugoslavian Communist Party. And in that declaration, it was stated that Tito does not does not give enough attention to the growth or to the growth of class differences in the countryside, and he doesn't care about the, the capitalistic elements in his country. He is not um, dealing with them fast enough. <laughs> in this resolution, it was stated in the resolution in which Tito got thrown out, mind you. In this resolution, it was stated that. Uh, Tito has taken a bourgeoisistic nationalistic position and that the Yugoslavian Communist Party has broken the United Front against capitalist imperialism. Uh-huh. It's just crazy. And they, yeah, they, called, they called me a heretic too, right? So, and, yeah, a, and like a deviant and uh, yeah, it, all of that. In some way, they didn't use the word heretic, but that's essentially what it says. Yeah. And at that point, it was basically basically weird because uh, all of these people are again in modern internet they're using this and mm -hmm. <laughs> look look uh, as you mentioned in this nationalist episode this is used to achieve some political goals goals even today this is way more depressing than you might even fucking imagine I'm just making fun and doing fun things but these things are used to, to 
make people vote a certain way. These things are used to instill fear in people. Tito is used in Russia today to instill fear of America. Because obviously, America stole Yugoslavia from us. America influenced uh, Tito. America sent agents there. Interesting. You are the evil guys. <laughs> interesting. You want to kill my family. Uh-huh. Well, well, it's a and, narrative that, that's very appealing. And sure. you know what? This doesn't even belong in your show. Because <laughs> Titoism is not a dead idea. Titoism has just been resurrected and reused. Uh, in that Ta-da. in that respect, oh. in that respect, yeah, and you know, and a little side note for my listeners: I only use Russian sources when I'm researching this. I don't research anything. I don't Google stuff. I Yandex stuff. Which Yandex is the Russian search thing, and I only search hmm. for Russian sources because I want to give you stuff that you can't hear elsewhere. Exactly. Okay. Well. Okay. So the the bell rings. The bell rings to signal the end of round two. Right. Bing. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You are winning. Not, well, I don't. I don't know. I I feel like you're winning actually because like I was jabbing my. I was like jabbing to beat hell, but you were just like holding me at arm's length. So, um, and you expelled me from the Komen form, and that sucked for Yugoslavia, right? So I I think that round goes to you, Stalin. Okay, so round three. Round three is the era of uh, 1948 to 1953 uh, when there. Communist ideologies begin to diverge, and they di- they diverge not because my impression is not because they originally had different ideas in mind, but because they had this falling out between each other, and then one wanted to uh, distinguish themselves. So, so Tito, I don't necessarily think wouldn't have adopted what I'm now calling Titoism unless he had this falling out with Stalin. That's my take on it. But anyway, okay, so. So, so after the war, right, and and then they get expelled from the common form, then they are now a a major threat to the USSR. He's finally getting the attention he wanted, right? But now it's negative attention. <laughs> so, so they are now a threat right on the Yugoslav border. Well, nearly on the Yugoslav borders, on the borders of their satellite states. Okay, and so Stalin orders Eastern Bloc nations, mainly Hungary, but also Albania and Romania to conduct military exercises on the borders of Yugoslavia. And there's a military buildup. And this is meant as a big stick threat of like, hey, I can invade you anytime I want, and tomorrow I just might do it. And so that's that's a major blow that Stalin, I feel like, sends in my direction. That's that's like a, that's the straight punch right there. Or at least or at least it's telling me I can do the straight punch at any time I want. And I could just take you down. In response, Tito builds up his military to the Europe's third largest army at the time. I'm not sure what the other two are, but I'm pretty sure that Europe's first largest army at the time was the USSR. It might have been the first in the world. Is that See, what you... it was? It was basically the first in the world because uh, there's this famous saying. Um, see, when when the Vatican, the Pope, criticized Stalin. Mm-hmm about stuff, Stalin said, oh yeah, well, how many tank armies does this Vatican have? Mm-hmm. USSR had more tanks and more military than all of the other countries in Europe combined. Combined, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's The Soviet it. Union was a massively military. It had seven tank armies. Well, everybody else demobilized, Look, but they didn't, so that's the They thing, didn't right? at all. Yeah. Basically, the, we, conscription service is still going on today in Russia, and it was going on full in strength. Basically, Soviet Union had more tanks... Like, you know, they had seven tank armies. 
one, like, each of their tank armies had more tanks than France and Germany combined. <laughs> Why is Germany combined, okay? It was insane. If yeah. it wasn't for nukes, the Soviets would could just easily roll over everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's got all this army, right? And he's massing it on my borders. And there's this quote here, and, and maybe I shouldn't be the one saying Stalin's quote, but it's a great quote, so I'll just go ahead and do it. He says, he's quoted as saying, I don't want to crush Tito. Tito's basically a good man. I want Tito to recant. I want Tito at my feet begging for forgiveness, and I will forgive him. But here's the thing. Tito doesn't give in. He doesn't back down. Stalin's expecting that, oh, Tito's going to fold. He's, he, he's calling Tito's bluff, right? But, but Tito's not bluffing. Instead, what he does is, first of all, he knows his, the ace in his hand is that if Stalin starts a war in Yugoslavia, that is going to really mess with the whole Cold War politics that are going on between Stalin and the West, right? Yep. That's so he he can't here, actually invade without severely upsetting that delicate east-west diplomatic balance. Yeah. And Stalin can't go to war with Tito cuz that would look really bad. Like Yeah. So it turns out like that you, actually like Hungary in 1952 looks looks awful already. And then Czechoslovakia will look terrible as well like the Prague Spring and everything. But Yugoslavia is just too big and too important and you no know, there's Tito there. And Tito mm-hmm. doesn't care. Well, see, the thing is, it turns out he knows that Stalin's actually the one bluffing. So Tito calls Stalin's bluff. And then he bargains with Truman instead. And in 1948, accepts aid from the West. And so now, now he's supported. And now he is not just Yugoslavia, but he has, he's, he's got friends in high places now. And so that, I, th- I feel like that's the part in this round where Tito kind of has his sort of rocky comeback where he starts really fighting. <laughs> and now, now obviously he's got his second wind here. And then, so here, and then at that point, that's when Tito feels empowered to really start implementing a whole different kind of communism. And he starts making speeches that sort of demonize the Soviet Union as just riddled with bureaucratic centralism and this kind of dominating top-down bureaucratic centralized kind of model. And instead, he says, we're going to go a different way in Yugoslavia. We're going to go bottom up. We're going to do, go decentralization, give more power to the individual republics within the country than the federal government. We're going to have the, the workers manage their own enterprises, <laughs> and we're going to actually make good on the Marxist promise for, of power to the people. And so he spins this in terms of propaganda as like, we're the more, the more true Marxist. We're the better communists. We're the ones actually doing it right. So there. <laughs> He's the only man to ever oppose Stalin live. Mm-hmm. That makes Tito a badass, but there had to be a Stalin for that to be true. Yeah, and kind of, I I asked my dad about the situation here, and like, you know, um, I'm twisting and turning around things, but I asked my dad about how was this struggle looked like, and then they talk they spoke about a lot of people who were like actually alive uh-huh. during the fifties, and at one point, you like Yugoslavian stuff was like, you know, we over here in the Soviet Union we got our own made stuff which was crap, then. 
the next, like, if you could get American stuff, that was only from back market, like American, Western European stuff. But Yugoslavian stuff and Hungarian and like other 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 countries around this was like considered to be way better than the Soviet stuff, but not as quite good as as the Western stuff. Yugoslavian stuff, whatever that was, Yugoslavian, just anything, was considered to be miles better than anything else hmm. in the Western Bloc. And the people at the time... In the Eastern Bloc. In the Eastern Bloc, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I am very sorry. My, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, right, I'm listening. I'm reading from my notes and uh, getting confusing here. But yeah, basically, <laughs> the stuff is that um, Yug- Yugoslavs as such were treated as if they were like, you know, they're capitalists actually, but they're pretending to be Soviet so that we would have peace. Mm-hmm. That was general view. It's like, they're not really in the Eastern Bloc. They're pretenders. Well, that's, that's the thing, is eventually Tito takes... The, we're getting outside of our time period now, but Tito takes this to the point where he says, we're not the Eastern Bloc, we're not the Western Bloc, we're not part of any Bloc, we're going to organize all the nations that are not part of any Bloc and be the non-aligned nations. That doesn't happen until like the 60s, but, that, but that's where this is headed. Yeah, everything's uh, everything kind of gets sort of weird in a way. <laughs> but then again, everything everything in history is weird. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Yugoslavia sort of. Even though I do still claim that Stalin was always more powerful than the Yugoslavian people, if we if we claim about who lived better, who had like more freedoms at the end, and who actually happened to like basically basically got to live in a better country, than the Yugoslavian people won. Even mm. though we made terrible jokes about them, yeah, that's the thing. Is I, I have heard it said many times that if you had to live in a communist country, Yugoslavia was the place to do it because they had significantly greater uh, freedoms in some sense, like the ability to travel uh, outside the country without getting major permissions. Your passport would get you into both Eastern Bloc countries and Western Bloc countries, and just in general, there was a lot less centralized restriction and oppression than in many other satellite states of the Soviet Union. In the end, I would have to say that Stalin is way more intimidating figure than Tito. Tito was bad, oh, yeah. for sure. But in the end, Yugoslavian people kind of won. Hmm. Because of Tito. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of, that's, that's my final word, verdict here. Yeah, and, and, to, and to put the final word on it. So we don't quite make it to the end of round three because what actually puts to an end the Tito-Stalin conflict is that Stalin kicks the bucket, basically dies March 5th, 1953. And so basically Tito outlasts him. Uh, the next person to take power is Khrushchev, of course, and attempts to distance his image from that of Stalin. And one of the acts done to make it appear like Khrushchev is going to be a much less tyrannical ruler, etc., is there is a normalizing of relations between the USSR and Yugoslavia. Khrushchev visits Yugoslavia in 1955, tells Yugoslavia, quote, there are different roads to communism, and their relations normalize. And after that, Tito basically kind of wins an unstated right to continue developing his communism along the ideological lines that he had developed during this conflict with the workers' self-management. And like I said, in in 1960, I think it was, they start the movement of non-aligned nations. So not being 
either Eastern Bloc or Western Bloc and organizing other nations in forming this kind of neutral faction of a kind. And that's, that's really where things kind of head off in different directions in this timeline. You can imagine a, an alternate timeline where Stalin lives longer or, or something else kind of like intervenes or Tito dies ah, but, first and but, then something, but, an entirely but, 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 different communism develops in Yugoslavia. <laughs> But there, but there, there was there was this joke. Like my favorite still is, what is the most permanent thing in the Soviet Union? Temporary difficulties. <laughs> well, this is just temporary difficulties before we realize the true communism. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, like communism is like horizon. You can always see that, but it'll never come. Uh huh. Yeah, it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Which, as a young child, I actually did chase after once, and I got halfway through a cornfield. And I uh, realized that I was really tired of, t- of running, <laughs> trying to get that to the end of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's bring this to an end. Uh, that's all for today, folks. Thanks to listeners of both Dead Ideas and Eastern Border and any new Wait a listeners minute. out there. Wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute there. Yes, uh, yes. Good sir. Good yes. sir. I remember that we in the Eastern Border have this segment, Ask Uncle Joe. And you have a question for for Uncle Joe. Oh, yes. Yes, I get my question answered on air. Okay. So, can you please repeat your question then? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I remember what it was. Uh, Please, Mr. Stalin, in your opinion, what is the cutest animal? (laughs) Oh, well. But I can can respond to this to you with, with ease. Come on. Stalin, for all of his life, only wear rider's boots. That means the horse is the best animal. Ah, Horse does a lot of work. Horse always works very, very hard. Stalin wore rider's boots throughout his life and nothing else. Because, you know, Lenin only wears shoes, but by Stalin's time, the Soviet country was in in the shit through the knees already, so he had to wear boots. And, you know, if you sit on a horse, (laughs) then it's better that way. (laughs) So the horse is the cutest animal. Very nice. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll bring this to the close. We'll bring this to a close. All right. So, um, yeah, thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you, Kristaps, for being on the show. Thank you for having me on your show, Mutually. (laughs) And in the meantime, everybody, remember I said we were going to have a contest. So Dead Ideas is holding a kind of black humor kind of contest, voting on who should play Tito if there ever were to be a Hollywood movie version of his life. And whether Hollywood chooses to sanitize him by either making him totally heroic, like, you know, Alexander the Great or something. Alexander the Great, the real guy, was a dick. But well, obviously, he's been romanticized in Hollywood. So it, they could do that with Tito, or they could totally vilify him like some kind of Bond villain. Whichever they choose to do, who should play Tito? So and listeners... if you don't, and if you don't vote for me, then I know where you live. <laughs> Christophs should play Tito. Listeners of both shows are welcome <laughs> to vote. So all you have to do is go to Facebook or Twitter and vote by posting with the hashtag Hollywood Tito. So hashtag Hollywood Tito and the name of the actor that you think should play Tito and anything else you want to throw in there. Then you get your name entered in a random drawing to win a free portrait in which I will draw you in the time period and culture of your choosing. I will make you look awesome, I promise. So, and go ahead and, and do that. he tells the truth. His portraits of me and Alice are like really amazing and thank oh, you, man. It was oh, just great. You. Oh, thank you. It was a fun one to do. The winner of the contest will be announced September 17th on Dead Ideas. So be sure to vote before then. Also, you can support both our shows on Patreon. 
We are at www.patreon.com forward slash dead ideas pod. Christops, anything you want to say about your Patreon? I am on patreon.com slash the Eastern border. Excellent. And for some reason, people have a hard time finding us through search, but that will not stop through comrades. I, I find it rate, easier by going to your website and clicking on the Patreon link from there. Yeah, I suppose so. That's, that's easy. I'm, I'm on the Eastern border. LV, and uh, if you guys haven't listened to me yet, I'm the crazy guy who was on Brandon's previous episodes, and uh, I do Soviet history a lot, and uh, Brandon does Dead Ideas, which is pretty self-explanatory, or not, but you'll have to check it out yourself. So, yeah, what else is new? Um, uh, come visit Latvia, honestly. Uh, I'll, you have a place to sleep on my couch, I'm always open to p- people, because come visit us on the eastern border, we live in... Latvia, Riga, very east of European Union. So, yeah, it's going to be great. I like how, so most podcasters will like have like a Patreon perk that's like, I'll give you, (laughs) I'll send you a t-shirt or something. And you're like, you can come live with me. (laughs) No, 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 they have the perks. I promise I'll send them stuff. But the thing is, like I, today I found out that over 50% of what I send doesn't reach, doesn't reach the, the address. Yeah, that's not a good percentage. And uh, the thing is, if my post loses something that I can reproduce, like a t-shirt, that's okay. Uh-huh. But if they lose Soviet rubles or Communist Party pins, yeah, they can't be reproduced, man. It's just that it's just lost, lost yeah, thing. wasted effort. Yeah, yeah and uh, so I'll have to figure something out. Okay, so thanks everybody. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. До свидания, товарищи.